And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague, Stu Mandel. We are taping this just a few moments after the CFP rankings were finally uh, unfurled on the ranking show, which I think is probably still going on for another three hours. Um, But Stu, no surprises here, uh, as I think most people, maybe outside of some folks who are diehard Texas A&M fans. It's one Alabama, two Clemson, three Ohio State, four Notre Dame. You have any quibbles with that? No, I don't have any quibbles up on it. Based, you know, on the the way the committee system works, it's supposed to look at. You're not supposed to let one game overshadow the entire body of work. And as bad as that Notre Dame loss to Clemson was, they still had the better resume than A&M. Uh, I just think overall, it's a very uninspiring controversy, if you will. Um, we've had some heated debates over the years over four versus five. This one kind of felt like anticlimactic because you're basically talking about a team that already got blown out by both of those teams, Notre Dame and AM, have already had blowout losses to the other two teams that are making the playoffs. So I think you and I, we've mentioned this several times offline now, but you kind of wish you could. This is one year I'd be fine if it were the BCS and we were just having two teams. You think there's any factor in the committee that looked at it and said, you know what, whoever's in the number four team, whether it's Notre Dame or AM, would have to play Alabama? And we saw that from AM and it wasn't close. Do you think that entered their minds? They say they're not supposed to consider stuff like that, that they're not even supposed to. You know, you've done the mock exercise. You're you're just going through the rankings. You're not really looking at matchups. But how could that not enter your mind, right? We've already saw this game. Do we really want to see it again? I think that probably also impacted the... I wouldn't be surprised, I guess I'll say, if it impacted how Ohio State was seeded relative to, uh, to Notre Dame because you sure as heck didn't want to have a third Clemson-Notre Dame game. No, no, you wouldn't. Um, although it's... Still, it's technically possible you could get that matchup regardless. Um, if they earn their way into it, great. But I don't think you want to s- purposely set that up. No, and I again, I think going back to to that, you know, I don't know. I just feel like at one point, you know, you're sitting here looking at is Oklahoma playing better than both of those two teams right now? Yeah, they probably are. It wasn't like they blew uh, Iowa State off the field. It got close at the end. But Oklahoma lost to K-State, and it's not like that was their only loss. So, yeah, they avenged their one loss. To me, the, the most interesting team positioned here is a team that the committee isn't even really paying attention to, and that was Cincinnati. When you looked at them, they went 9-0. and 
they played a bunch of really good quarterbacks. And I bring that up because their defense was number one in the country. They did not allow a single opponent. UCF with that explosive offense, uh, you know, Shane Bouchel and SMU is a really good offense. Brady White in Memphis, that's a good offense. Nobody had even 360 yards all season against them. And, they're, and they were pretty good on offense themselves. They had a top 15 offense. And you're sitting there looking at it and going, well, wait a minute. They are, they're nowhere near the art, you know, like that. It, it just doesn't, you know, I, 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 if I was a, a power five AD, I'd be like, this system's fine. If I was a group of five AD or a group of five commissioner, I'd be like, look, this is a, an effing farce. We have no chance. We have almost no chance in a regular year, and we had absolutely no chance this year because there was no chance to even play outside of our league in the rare exceptions. And the teams that had the rare exceptions, the Sun Belt got to play uh, some Big 12 teams, and they beat one of the best Big 12 teams by 17 points, and the committee didn't even really blink. So, again... You know, maybe some of this is the makeup of this particular committee, but I just think the whole system is just a clown show. John, please make that the headline of this podcast. (laughs) The college football playoff is a clown show. No, am I wrong? I mean, look what you just watched. You know, I'm not somebody in the past who, like, went to the mat for UCF uh, or or another group of five team. Uh, Yes, it's unfair, but I didn't honestly think those teams had a case to be in the top four. Cincinnati, on the other hand, I mean, this to me is Cincinnati, and it would be interesting what the conversation would have been like on that ESPN show if they'd actually blown out Tulsa instead of winning on a last-second field goal. But uh, they're the best group of five team of the playoff era. They have the number one defense in the country. Did they play? No. Did they have to defend uh, uh, Kyle Trask and, and Devontae Smith? No. But like you said, Bruce, SMU, Memphis, these are good offenses that they shut down. UCF. UCF is a really, really explosive offense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So we know it's a really good defense. And they're number 11 in the country in offense. So to me, this is a really good football team. That not. It's not like, oh, they finished fifth and, oh, what a shame they missed out on the playoff. Literally last Tuesday, the committee moved them down to number nine. Uh, just because they didn't play. They have no respect for Cincinnati. And it's like, or any group of five team. And I think I don't think it's a conspiratorial thing where they're sitting in a room going, we can't let a group of five team get near the playoff. I mean, some of the members of that committee have group of five backgrounds. So I don't think it's that. I think it's that the, the when they set up the committee, the like long document they gave, and you can look it up on the playoff site of, of the criteria and the protocol, I mean, it has the phrase strength of schedule in it like a hundred times. And so I think they, they take strength of schedule very, very literally. Nobody knows what strength of schedule ranking system they use. They've never revealed it. But I'm sure Cincinnati is not as high in it as Notre Dame or A&M. Uh, but at some point, you know, they also say we watch the games. And, uh, and, it, and it's not, obviously not entirely resume uh, driven because when they feel like when they feel like ranking Iowa State sixth, they can just totally blow off the 17-point loss to the Sun Belt team. So uh, you would think football people watching that Cincinnati team would take them more seriously. I don't Should they have been top four? I don't know, but they shouldn't have been ninth going into the last ranking show. They were three spots behind 
Iowa State, who is a good football team, but a two-loss football team, that if Iowa State and Cincinnati were playing tomorrow, I think I would pick Cincinnati. So, um, look, the committee had a bunch of flawed choices that somebody had to make it. You're looking at Notre Dame. You're looking at A&M. They both have blowout losses. You're looking at Oklahoma with two losses. Uh, I don't think this – I mean, despite what the ESPN guys were saying on the show, I don't think this Oklahoma team is a great Oklahoma team. They're better on defense, but they're far less uh, scary on offense. I don't know. If in this year of of we're making it up as we go along and it's an unusual year and they have no problem putting Ohio State in having played six games, I think Cincinnati should have gotten much more serious consideration. Okay, so in the year of let's just make it up as we go along because that's what we have to do. What's unfortunate is even that wild card scenario where if you were to say, okay, let's have A&M and Notre Dame play off to see who gets the fourth spot. I mean, you're still snubbing Cincinnati at that point. I'm sure Oklahoma would feel jilted as well. Um, I don't know. If you're if if you're the CFP, would you have broached? I mean, it's so outside the norm, but everything's outside the norm now, and the schedule's crunched up. So then, whoever would win that game would then be staring at Alabama, and with short prep time and everything else, but. And I think they would look at that and go, uh-oh, that's the precursor to moving to eight anyway. Oh, you're saying would they, if they had like decided to do an impromptu eight-team playoff? Yeah, play, play, you know, like, hey, you're going to play the game day out. What is, the, what is uh, I guess it's December 26th. I mean, I don't think so. It was not going to happen for a lot of reasons. It just logistically, right now, everybody's just crossing their fingers and hoping that one of the four playoff teams doesn't have a huge COVID outbreak and have yeah. to postpone the game. So if you add four more teams into the mix... No, I'm not. I'm just saying yeah. if you if the committee said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a play-in game. Notre Dame and... And obviously Notre Dame wouldn't be happy about it because now they're already in. But if the committee had said, we're going to go that way, and it's like, look, whoever's going in there, you're going in there at an already a bigger disadvantage because now you're going to play a game right before whatever, six days before now. But I'm sure A&M would have taken that. Sure. And maybe, hey, maybe the people who want to expand the playoff, maybe they should expand it to five and just do a play-in game like the uh, like the NBA play-in game uh, in the playoffs in the bubble. Um, but I also don't know that, like you said, I mean, I don't know that it's that obvious that those are the two that should be playing in the play-in game. So um, now this is the thing, like, Everybody wants, well, not everybody. A lot of people want to expand the playoff, and I get it. And I do think that expanding the playoff would have a positive effect on the regular season. You wouldn't have these teams who who are having, a, like Georgia, they're having a really good season ostensibly, but they're checked out because they wanted to, their only goal was to play for the national championship. Okay, so you give them a shot. But at the end of the day, like, it's Alabama and Clemson. They're head and shoulders above everybody else, including, I think, Ohio State. We can talk about that. And so you can add more teams if you want. I think the same teams are going to win the national title. You know, we had this discussion in the studio yesterday at Fox, whereas big, bigger playoff would mean probably more laps, lopsided matches on the front end. And remember, a lot of these games in the playoff have been really lopsided to begin with because 
getting to back, I think, to what you said is it feels like, and last year was the aberration where LSU was the best team, but it feels like typically the best team has been, you know, for most of the time has been Alabama and Clemson, and then it's the other two are stuck in there. You've had some good matchups. I mean, certainly Georgia, uh, Oklahoma, and the Rose Bowl was was a fun shootout. But Ohio State-Clemson last year was a great game. Yeah, so I, I think there's some of that. But, you know, when you look at this setup, um, what I'm getting at is there's a lot of folks who feel like because of the advent of the playoff and maybe because how the the coverage of the playoff has been uh, driven, especially on the ESPN Tuesday night show and maybe even beyond that, is the rest of the sport is marginalized. Now, I would make the case, but I think you and I are are outliers in this capacity, like you know, we I think we saw there was a really cool, for lack of a better term, little story uh, out of the Mountain West this year with what San Jose State was able to do. And congrats to them for handling Boise and beating them and to go 7-0 and given all the adverse circumstances they went through. And I'm not saying that, that San Jose State should have been in the playoff or anything like that. But I do think when everything is so geared towards, um, you know, I forgot what the cliche is. It's like, are you in or whatever? And if you're not, you don't really matter. And I think that that is definitely not helping the rest of the sport. And I don't know how they alleviate that. And maybe maybe a way to do that is to create an eight-team playoff because then at least those teams have a chance. Because... It's just right now, I think there's a lot of people, you know, you heard this term the last couple of years, Alabama fatigue, and there was Clemson fatigue. I mean, the ratings are still there for 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 Ohio State, and if Penn State's good, that they are. But for the most part, I do think that, you know, the sport is in a different place than it was 10 years ago. You're exactly right. I think, I mean, John Wilner, uh, Mercury News, was texting me. The Pac-12 was not mentioned once in the in like the first half hour of the playoff show. There, it's like they don't exist. Well, why would it have been? Why would it have been? They don't exist. They don't. They didn't have. I mean, USC. If USC had won and they had won by more than a touchdown against a, a two-loss at the time Oregon team, then I think USC would have been mentioned. I'm not saying they would have been in the top six, but the fact that you know the Pac-12's champ didn't even win its own division. You know, again, I'm not knocking John because I don't think this was his intention. But he wasn't like, complaining Pac- about it; he was just yeah, pointing it out. Like, right? The Pac-12 would have like it would have been a it would have been shoehorned in. Like, it would almost be like saying, "Hey, I want to say hi to my cousin Bobby yeah. who's watching." You know, like to to mention the Pac-12 in the first half hour of the show. Well, I think that so here's 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 what I would just say: when the BCS expanded to four, the impetus for that was that there were very deserving teams that just never got a shot to play for the national title because there were only two spots available. Um, 2004 Auburn is the one that always comes to mind most obviously. Uh, The year Oklahoma and Texas, Texas beat them head-to-head, had the same record Oklahoma got in. There were a lot of uh, Miami and Florida State and Washington in 2000. There were many situations in the BCS where just two teams just wasn't enough. When it goes from four to eight, and it will, that will not be the issue. It will not be that we feel like teams that could have won the national title aren't getting a shot. It's going to be what you just said. Because the playoff now overrides everything. Like the BCS title game was just 
the best of the bowl games. But, you know, your goal at the beginning of the season was still to get to the best bowl game you could. Now your goal is to get to the playoff. And a lot of these teams, if they don't get to the playoff, they don't care. A lot of these conferences, like the Pac-12, often gets eliminated by, like, mid-October. Their fans check out. So the motivation to expand the playoff at this point is just so that every conference, even the group of five, goes into the season knowing that if they win the conference, they'll, in the pack, Power Five's chance, if they win the conference, they'll make the playoff. They'll be an automatic bid. In the group of five, it'll be the, probably the same as it is now where it's the highest ranked, but there will be access to the playoff. And so the idea being that the whole country will feel included in this. Doesn't mean they're going to win it. I, there's no Pac-12 team. I mean, do you think there's been a, when's the last time there was a Pac-12 team? I'm thinking it's Mariota and Oregon that if you put them in the playoff, they have a legit shot to win it. Like that wouldn't change, but at least they would feel like they have a seat at the table. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with 24 seven US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right. Well, most of that was about most of what we talked about so far is just about like the, the seating and the cis. But in terms of the games themselves, I mean, I'm not even going to waste my breath on Alabama Notre Dame. Uh, it's a 17 and a half point spread for a reason. Ohio State Clemson. If you watch the Ohio State Northwestern game, um, it was ugly uh, for Ohio State. Justin Fields looked nothing like the player we've expected Justin Fields to be at this point. And this is after they uh, obviously got taken to the wire by Indiana. I'm not saying Ohio State is grossly overrated or anything. Like, they probably are one of the four best teams. But I want to see if you agree with me at all on this. I think they are going into the playoff with, like, one hand tied behind their back because they are halfway through their season, basically. Like, if you think about a normal season, a team that's played six games – you're in like mid-October. You're still trying to figure, you're still finding out about your team. You're still learning who the some of the key guys are going to be and how they mesh together. But f- conversely, Stu, you probably shouldn't be as banged up or injured too. Well, they just cha- Big Ten just changed that rule, so may, the 21-day rule, so maybe Chris Olave and, and those guys will be back from COVID. Um, yes, true. I just think in terms of they are, they are going to now go play a fully formed Clemson team that has been playing together for 11 games and has been through the thick and thin of it and is battle-tested. And Ohio State's quote-unquote preparation for that is that they beat Indiana and Northwestern. Like, I, talented, you know, Ohio State's extremely talented. I don't think they can beat Clemson because I don't think they're ready for it. To me, now they were without Chris Olave, who's their best receiver yesterday. But I 
you know, it's interesting in that Justin Field looked fantastic at the beginning of the year in the first three games. And then he threw a couple of picks against Indiana, and he looked shaky. And he did not look very confident, or he just didn't look like what he'd look like at the beginning of the year. If Justin Fields is throwing the ball around and and looks like he does at the beginning of the year, I think they're a really dangerous team. Now, I don't think they're as good as they have been the past few years because they're not as as good or not as great as they have been in the secondary. And also, they do not have that one dominant D lineman. You know, it was Bosa, then Bosa, then Chase Young, even up, probably up to the notch. They don't have anybody close to that right now. Now, they have good D linemen, but it's not like somebody who's like wrecking game plans. And I even think offensively, I think the receivers are really good and it's they're younger, but they're still really good. And I do think Justin Fields is definitely dangerous because he's a really big running threat. He's a better passer, at least when he's at least when he seems like he's he's all, all locked in. He's a better passer than certainly what they have with JT Barrett. Um, but I don't think run game wise, like Trey Sermon went off yesterday, but I don't think he's J.K. Dobbins and. I think they're a good team. I think they need if Justin Fields plays great, I think they can I think they can play with anybody. I just don't think defensively right now, this is not a great Ohio State defense. And I think against Clemson or Alabama, and in this case obviously it's Clemson, I think they're gonna be in for a rough day. I mean I would ask you this, just so we can get into this probably you know in a week or so, but who do you think has the best chance of of making it competitive, Notre Dame or Ohio State? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I think Alabama and Notre Dame will be more competitive after I just watched Notre Dame-Clemson. And I, it's a shame because now everybody's going to say how grossly overrated Notre Dame is and they always flop on the big stage, etc. But, I mean, they're going against an Alabama team that scores 50 points every game now. And... Look, Florida, to their credit, hung with them offensively. You know, they, they, they had a great game offensively, but Notre Dame is not built to play a 52-46 to 46 game. And so assuming, you, you know, Mac Jones, Najee Harris, uh, Devontae Smith, all those guys are re- available and ready to go, uh, how is Notre Dame going to slow that team down? Um, unless the Florida game was some sign that, that Alabama's defense is having issues. I think it was more that Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts and, and Tony, that those guys are really good themselves and that those were just two elite offenses going against each other. So I do think the Ohio State-Clemson game has a better shot to be competitive, but I don't think this is you know a carbon copy of, of last year's game in Arizona when both Ohio State... I mean, if you remember, that Ohio State team last year was just dominant all season. And they went into it like that, and Clemson went in having been dominant all but one game last season, and it turned out to be a great game. I don't think that's the backdrop to this one. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn 
isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Okay, Bruce, what do you say we get to the emails? Let's do it. As always, send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Stu, what do you got? All right, so, you know, as of this recording, Auburn still needs a coach. And Kyle Wilson says, Bruce... I know you are the coaching search guru. Are there any truth to the rumors of Neil Brown being a candidate at Auburn? As a, as a West Virginia fan, I hope not, because I'm stoked at the progress and recruiting class he just signed. Tell me I have nothing to worry about. Ooh, um, I think there's some people at, at Auburn who may have some interest in Neil Brown. I don't know if it's any more than that, because they know he did a really good job at Troy. From my understanding over the weekend, the Auburn search is in the let's turn over all the cards and see what we got here mode which is probably not a bad idea for them um as we've talked about quite a bit uh kevin Steele, the defense coordinator is the guy that some of the key money people want um as i reported on our big noon show saturday morning so they want to talk to both clemson coordinators brent venables and tony elliott they plan to talk to steve sarkeesian the alabama offensive coordinator Billy Napier is also in consideration. And then after that, who knows? I mean, you know, I heard some rumblings about Bill Clark from UAB. Ultimately, you know, I would think, again, Steele 
has such support where I think he's he's going to be a real candidate. But if it's not Steele and they don't go the Hugh Freeze route, I think it falls into that category of let's really kick the tires on Billy Napier. We know he knows the SEC. We know he's he's proven himself as a as a good head coach, at least on a on a smaller scale, but still it's not insignificant. Or then you have those those really three coordinators who are all hot names who are all been at superpower programs. And I think at that point, when the interview process, if it gets to that point with these other guys, it's like, who do we feel most comfortable with? And I don't know the answer to that. You know, like I've always thought Brent Venables is just sitting there waiting to be somebody's really good head coach. Um, And he's been choosy. And so we'll see if this is the fit. I mean, one thing that, you know, somebody had reminded me of was, and this wasn't Brent, Brent reminding me of this, but, um, you know, with the portal the way it is, it's like, yeah, he gets to coach his sons, but if he goes someplace else, his sons could follow him. All right, this next one from JB in Venice Beach. Given that Auburn will happily spend 28 to $30 million this year on Gus Malzahn's buyout and a new coach's salary, would it be possible to change this model? He's talking about the, the bloated buyout model. Would it be possible to change this model through incentives? Could a college president sign a top coach without a buyout but with huge incentives, like a $4 million base with $3 million to win a bowl game or $5 million to make the playoff or $10 million to win the national championship, or is paying $9 million for a great season and $30 million for a terrible season here to stay forever? I'm glad he asked this question because uh, it's actually something I've been thinking about lately, how out of whack the coaching salary, not just buyouts, but just the coaching, the market for coaching salaries is. Um this has got to be one of the only industries in America where um, somebody who has no, like it's one thing if you're hiring away Urban Meyer or uh, you know somebody who has, has, you know, be like luring away a Fortune 500 CEO to be your Fortune 500 CEO, right? That person, you're going to have to pay a lot of money to get them in the door. But in let's just take the SEC, for example. They have basically set the market where even somebody who with, with no head, like a Jeremy Pruitt, starts at like $4 million a year and and gets the, the Jimmy Sexton buyout in there, even though this wasn't a person who people were, were, were rushing to hire in the first place. I, I don't know how you reset it in real life, but it's really flawed because Nick Saban earns it. Nick Saban, I could argue, should make more than he does. He's more than you know, whatever he makes now, 8 million, 9 million, Alabama's reaping way more than that in benefits. But then half the coaches in the SEC are just taking your, stealing your money basically. And then you've got to pay them to go away. Yeah. I, the incentive part though, there's already incentives in these contracts. So I think it's, it's right now they're each kind of trying to protect themselves. And I think the agents have a seem to have a lot more power than usually the ADs and the universities do on the front end. Because as you said, if you get a great coach, and Nick Saban is certainly that, Dabble is certainly that, they, the money they bring into the university community is way beyond what you're paying them. The marketplace has just absolutely exploded in like the last dozen years with the TV money exploding. And I don't know, you know, we're in a pandemic we're in a pandemic right now and South Carolina paid $15 million to, to get rid of Will Muschamp. Auburn is going to pay 
21 and a half million dollars and 21 and a half million dollars were like half of it has to be paid within like the first two months in a pandemic and that is showing that like this model is not buckling at least on that front well because and we actually had a similar question like that i'll just say it now from andrew in the midst of a pandemic that has resulted in significant budget budget cuts across most if not all college programs auburn 21 million dollar buyout i understand many athletic departments are largely privately funded but just does it surprise you that a public university located in one of the i'm not gonna put that part in about the poorest states but does it surprise you that a public university is able able and willing to cut a check that size i mean it boosters that's the thing like that's the if it were solely based on i mean certainly if it were coming out of the same pot that the that the you know the chemistry department comes out of but even even the athletic department budget that pays for the the tennis team scholarships i mean to, to be able to pay a buyout like that that is boosters coming in and saying here take our money and we'll, to make it to make him go away and as somebody pointed out to me and it's true uh if you're rich enough to be a to be a big money booster you're not one of the ones that's been suffering through the pandemic your your stocks are doing fine your investments are doing fine so it's screwed up i mean let's there's no other way around it. It's screwed up. But once South Carolina fired Muschamp, I knew this was going to be a relatively normal coaching carousel. The only other thing I would say about this whole messed up situation is, and you mentioned it, like the agents are at such an advantage because of the people that the people they are negotiating against, like athletic directors are not cut out to be savvy negotiators dealing with a jimmy sexton or a trace armstrong like they spend most of their time not like once every three or four years you know at most do they have to negotiate somebody's 30 million dollar contract and they're doing it like okay if the athletic when the athletic has a job opening for whatever some editor position or something like they take a good couple months to research the candidates talk to the candidates find the right person uh, you make an offer, there might be a negotiation over it. These extremely important jobs, these, this is a job that this person holds so much power or, and, and you're putting their whole, your program in their hands. Like they try to get it done in days. Like they, 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 they find the guy and then it gets negotiated in like 24 hours. It's, it's pretty screwed up when you really think about it. Okay, Stu from Ben in Charlotte. Stu, since you're a Northwestern grad, Stu, you went to Northwestern, I didn't know. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on the ACC hiring Jim Phillips that for some who don't know that is the Northwestern AD to be their new commissioner do you think that is a good hire I do it's who the Big Ten should have hired to be their commissioner um, I, I he was he was just shocked Every, all indications were he was gonna be the next Big Ten commissioner and at the 11th hour the president's hired Kevin Warren and I'm not going to pile on Kevin Warren, but I think given the events of this year, they probably wish now they did have somebody as experienced as Jim Phillips. And that's the thing. Like, I think sometimes the, the presence, they overthink it. They want to go, you know, outside the box. Outside the box is good in a lot of situations, but college commissioner is a very unique job in that you basically have to manage. You're the in-between between the president's the ADs and the coaches, they all have their, they all have their, their agendas and their interests. And you have to navigate that. And I think that's what 
Kevin Warren really struggled with because he was still new to it. I mean, so that's where somebody like Jim Phillips, who, yeah, he's been at Northwestern for the last 12 years, but he worked at Notre Dame before that. He knows everybody in the ACC. Um, and just, I'm not going to like sit here and be rah, rah, purple, but just look at what's happened since he took over in, in 2008. Basketball team had their first ever NCAA tournament bid. Football teams went won to the Big Ten title game two of the last three years. And most importantly, a school that had the most decrepit athletic facilities in all of the Power Five now has this like over-the-top gorgeous $250 million uh, facility on the lake, and he's the one that made that happen. So, yeah, I think I think it's a great hire. Um, he's his big challenge is going to be that you know John Swafford's done a lot of things right in his tenure. I'm not going to criticize him, but he locked them into a very long-term deal with ESPN, like 2036 or something like that. That just by the nature of these things is going to get outdated real fast. That's what happened to the Pac-12. Like they. They, for a brief moment in time, had the richest TV deal, and then as the other league's deals came up, it fell far behind. And and that could happen to the ACC. So he's going to have to find some creative ways to make sure they don't fall behind. Um, but as of this moment, I mean, the ACC just put two teams in the playoff. Who would have guessed? You know, you remember all the years when we made fun of the ACC because they couldn't win a BCS Bowl? Now they're at a point where they can... Speaking of Northwestern, Isaiah Bauer just entered the transfer portal um, in front of my eyes here on Twitter. Um, the ACC is at a, at a position of strength right now. I mean, clearly they're strength in basketball, and then the football uh, conference, um, you know, has a lot of national cachet right now. So, uh, congrats to the ACC. I think that's a really good hire. I agree. I uh, got to spend some time with Jim. We've done a bunch of Northwestern games, and two things stood out. One, one will come in handy, the other probably won't. The one that won't come in handy is, I remember doing a frigid game between them and Iowa. It was basically for them to clinch the West, and everybody else had heaters and was bundled up, and Jim Phillips walked around with his without his coat on, just a shirt and tie, pants obviously too and um never flustered and just seemed like it was a balmy day um and then the other thing was and this is the more significant part uh jim phillips has fantastic people skills to the point where and i want to say jim may be like one of 10 kids or comes from a big family but i was thinking like after you'd always go down you'd meet with him he'd sit down with the crews which is not that many ad's would do that um but he was very, very engaging to the point where I remember walking away from his office thinking like, okay, where did he learn to be like this? Because this is a invaluable skill. And it's not everybody personally can be that way. And I'm guessing if you were to talk to every sibling he has, I'm guessing they're not all probably like that either. But um, that is a great skill as an administrator, as a leader, and certainly as an AD we have a lot of constituents, and I think it's going to be especially invaluable when you're a conference commissioner going to a place where it's not like he got promoted from within. It's not like he was the AD at at Duke or not like he was the AD at NC State. So um, I I think that's a terrific hire for them. And, you know, I think Jim Phillips, along with the OUAD, Joe Castiglione, I think those guys would be great at pretty much almost anything they, they did just because of who they are and how they communicate with people. All right. Well, as always, send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com, and we'll see you next time.